this series that we began last week in 2 Timothy, again, one of my favorite books, uh, this section of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, will be very encouraging and challenging uh, for all of us in the room today, uh, including me, and so I encourage you that you're challenged and encouraged both with this. Uh, we've heard throughout our lives there are followers and there are leaders. In fact, we've probably even heard the best leaders were the best followers. And I don't discount that being true. It's difficult to know how to lead if you don't know how to follow. So all of us in our lives have taken positions in both, of serving and of leading, depending on the area of life for us. Well, the early church was not any different. Distinguished leaders stepped out, the 12 disciples in particular, after Jesus, life, death, resurrection, and the church was formed and began. There were specific individuals who came out of that who began to plant the church. Definite leaders, though at that time there were not distinctions between necessarily those who had vocational calls to ministry, meaning God specifically called, called them to be solely pastors, and those who were non-vocational uh, leaders, pastors. Everyone, in fact, who was a follower of Jesus in the early church saw their responsibility, their opportunity to share the gospel and their story about how Jesus radically saved their life with those around them as a natural part of the day. So whether they were working with cobblestone, or they're working in the fields, they were maids, even kings saw their positions as responsibility to share not only their story, uh, but the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. It was a natural part. And then about 313 AD, when Christianity became the primary religion of Rome, that began to change, and these vocational pastors began to emerge, or priests, or preachers, where people were seen and viewed as that was their distinct calling life. In fact, it even affected the way they could or could not marry, or have families, or interact, or places where they could go or could not go. You approach uh, the medieval age when uh, that became even more brought to the forefront where individuals were seen as specifically either vocationally called to ministry or not, and that ran for that duration. The Protestant Reformation came about about 500 years ago, and there was the desire or goal to less so distinguish the difference between those who were actually called to ministry, vocational ministry, and those who weren't, meaning that Everyone was to see themselves, if they were followers of Jesus, as carriers of the gospel. Bringing the kingdom to, in essence, Christ through them, the earth. Sharing Christ with those around them as a natural part of life, both vocational and non-vocational. And I would say, uh, though that wave came and the desire was there, much of the church today is probably still seen as the same, where there are those who are called to share the gospel vocationally, and that is their job, in essence, a pastor, my responsibility. And then there may be many, I would say, stronger than maybe, who believe that their job is not to do the same, not to carry the gospel, not to share the, 
share the kingdom, that they don't see themselves as those who are actually non-vocationally called to ministry. But I would argue, especially with the passage that we're going to look through today, all of us, every one of us who calls ourselves a follower of Jesus is called to ministry, vocationally or otherwise. Because God has uniquely placed us positionally with those around us, unlike anyone else in our lives. And we're going to look at that as we read through this passage. So be ready to be challenged. I am as well. Before we start reading, though, let's pray together. So God, this morning as we launch into your word, as we look at our second week of 2 Timothy, these verses, I pray that you would bring about the challenges individually for us that we need to be drawn first and foremost closer to you. And second, to recognize positionally where you have placed us to make a difference for the kingdom and the gospel in your specific direct calling to each one of us. Help us this morning, Jesus. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. The experience of genuine faith both ignites and empowers our calls to ministry. Let's begin reading together 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought light, life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher an apostle, and a teacher. So Paul begins this writing to Timothy with the phrase, for this reason. He specifically, after doing all of the greetings and bringing encouragement in the verses before this, in the writing before this, was reminding Timothy that he was directly called by God to do exactly what he was doing for the reason, sharing the gospel, expanding the kingdom, and building the church. In the 2020 year coming, we've talked about this 2020 focus that our church is pressing towards nine years from now, looking at all that God can do in expanding the kingdom and not just remaining on the two campuses currently that are known as Blue Valley Baptist Church. We are called to spread the gospel. So, Paul, in talking with Timothy, writing this to him, reminding him that God specifically called him. First, he saved him. Then, he called him. And the true, same was true of Paul, telling him to fan into flame the gift of God. I love that picture. I always have fanning into flame. What picture goes in my mind of that is of a fireplace that is either being stoked or being fanned to make it bigger, to produce greater heat, to help others, to affect others in a positive way. Fanning into flame. You see, the word gifting, whether you realize it or not or have known it or not, 
at salvation for you if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, God uniquely skilled and gifted, placed spiritual gifts in your lives to be able to utilize not only to edify the church, but to make a difference on the planet for those who don't know him yet as well. And so we are called to fan into flame, to take this picture of this fan and to make bigger what God has produced in our lives. Now we on our own can't do that. God actually is the one through the Holy Spirit who fans those gifts into flames into our lives to help us be more effective for the gospel and the kingdom on this planet. He is calling Timothy in this to fan into flame the gifts in which God had specifically given him. What is our primary way of fanning into flame the gifts God has given us individually? Well, first and foremost is to spend time with him. One of the primary ways we do that is in his word. Memorizing it, applying it, utilizing it, sharing it. That is one of our primary ways of fanning into flame the gifts God has specifically given us. Spending time with people, loving, sharing, opening our mouths, looking for opportunities to serve. Uh, There are other things that help us as well fan into flames uh, the gifts that God has given us. As called to a pastor, one of my responsibilities is to increase my skill set. So over the last several months, I been reading books on biblical preaching, other areas, pastoring, being effective. One of those, actually titled Biblical Preaching by Haddon Robinson, has been a great encouragement to me. Learning things, fanning to flame in my life, this gifting that God has emplaced within me in my calling to serve Him. I'm striving to fan to flame that gift by learning, by growing. Parents, how do we become better parents? Is it just a natural outflow of of life? Or at times, do we need seminars? Do we need books? Do we need helps that we can look in additionally with God's word to fan into flame this area of parenting? Marriage is the same. If for whatever reason, if you are or aren't yet married, believe that marriage is just one of those stable sets that just kind of runs through life and everything's going to be hunky-dory all the way through, I think your perception of what marriage is may be a little bit skewed. Uh, We need help books at times. We need those conferences. We need things that can help us make better our lives for those with whom we love outside of Jesus the most, our spouses. We do things to fan and to flame these relationships in better ways to make us better for those with whom God has entrusted us with. The same is to be true within our skill sets, the giftings that God has given us. We're to look at those, study those, learn those better, and be able to apply those. That's what Paul was telling Timothy, and that's what Paul is telling us. Those things in your life that God has gifted you with, he desires for you to fan into flame. And then we see the phrase, in you through the laying on of my hands. Of course, we know that modern day as ordination for us. Typically, with those who are deacons or elders, we ordain them, commission them, we set them aside and say that is what that uh, is. We, we set these individuals aside to the calling God specifically has in their lives. And then an interesting verse dropped in the middle of that after all this encouragement, after encouraging Timothy to tell him to do these different things, to fan to flame what God has given him, reminding him of his calling. He said, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Another version, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, 
and of self-discipline. And so he was reminding Timothy, there is no need to cower when it comes to the gospel and to your calling and to the kingdom that God has given you. You need to be strong in those areas. The greatest acrostic I have ever heard for the term fear is false evidence appearing real. So many in faith are crippled in many respects to share the gospel, afraid to open their mouths in any setting anywhere because of potential persecution, because of disjuncted relationship, possibly fear of loss of job, loss of network in neighborhoods, that instead of taking a risk or sharing or being obedient in the moments the Holy Spirit's given them to speak, to actually open their mouths, they cower back. Paul was telling Timothy, don't cower back. God did not put that in your life. In fact, while those things may come true, while you may lose influence in some respects, you may lose credibility with those who absolutely hate Jesus and the gospel, if you follow through and share and open your mouth and don't allow that fear to cripple you, the reality is that when God's word is spoken, lives change. And that he is the one who changes hearts, not us. Our call is obedience. And to overcome what seems to be what will take place instead of cowering behind and never changing. Because in fact, God gives us the spirit of power, love, and of self-discipline in our lives to do just that. He was encouraging Timothy. And we too should be encouraged in that. And he continues, reminding Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony about Jesus, nor of Paul. Now think about what it would have been for Timothy to be associated with a man who had been imprisoned for his faith. In essence, an enemy of the nation, Paul, imprisoned for years. That could not have brought great things in some areas of Timothy's life. Just being associated with the man, Paul. But he reminded him to share in his suffering for the gospel. I think there's a, over the years, 20 maybe, a sliding effect where the gospel, an easy gospel, is presented. It's a self-help tool. It'll make your life better. Jesus added will make your marriage perfect. Your kids are going to be the winners every time. You're going to be so financially together, you're going to be able to retire at age 26. Yet have I met anyone like that. But there's this picture that this easy gospel gives that once you do that, life's just going to just go right along. But if we read the Gospels, if we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we understand as followers of Jesus, life is actually more difficult than easy. In fact, suffering is guaranteed. It's not suggested. And if you open your mouth for the gospel, or if you live a life that's different than what culture says, this is the way it should be. But your standard is Jesus, and your standard is here, and people see you. You will endure suffering. It is coming if it is not already to your life. And not just verbal. More things are coming our way sooner than I believe we understand. He was encouraging 
Timothy, to share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, which is the way we make it through. It is only by the power and presence of Christ in our lives that we are able to make it through struggles and suffering and difficulty. And he reminds him in verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So he reminds Timothy in this that he was saved, that he was called, and it was because of the purpose of God in his life and not because of his own. Even before the ages began, he knew Timothy and who Timothy would be, which was now manifested, the appearing of Christ, who wiped death away, had victory over death in life through the resurrection and brought immortality to light through the gospel, encouraging us, reminding us of our need to share, to share the gospel openly, to know it. And so in this encouragement that he was giving him, we see encouragement as well. So let's go back to our opening comments in the message about beginning of vocational and non-vocational ministry. I think as we consider the changes over the centuries in that area, again, very few by the masses of church populations actually see themselves as ministers, non-vocational, gospel-carrying, kingdom difference-making, called-by-God sharers of the gospel with those who are lost. Ministers. Non-vocational. And as time has gone, especially over the last 10 years in particular, in our state of Kansas and in Nebraska, as we've talked about, there are major pockets of small population bases where they can't afford to have a vocational pastor. And so it's brought about the fact, again, that those who are actually living and working and doing life normally, whatever that is, working as an engineer, software developer, teacher, that those individuals are responsible now, too, for planning churches, for establishing opportunities for those who can come and be a part of what Christ has called us to, known as the church. And so these individuals in different places, in particular in our two states, are doing just that. Part of our 2020 focus for nine years from now, when we celebrate as a church family, what God has done will be, I believe, that many, even of you, will be called by God to become co-vocational ministers of the gospel. What does that mean? Currently, you're a Garmin employee. God has placed this initial spark in your life of doing something unique for the kingdom. Three years from now, an opportunity opens itself up in North Dakota for you to have a job transfer in a non-church-based area. And God will impart in your life as part of your calling 
I need to move to North Dakota. Not specifically because of the job. That is my opportunity. But to plant a church in North Dakota as I work at Garmin in North Dakota. Is there a Garmin in North Dakota? I don't even know. Probably not. Uh, maybe there will be. Uh, just kidding. Um, that could be God's direct call in your life. And then six years from that point, at our reunion service, 2020, you're going to come back and you're going to share about what God's done over the last six years of you working at Garmin in North Dakota and planning a church. See the concept? Many of you, I believe, sitting in the room today in nine years will not be with us, not because you transitioned to a different church in our town, but because God has called you to India, North Dakota, Hawaii, whatever that is for you. And in your obedience, you will see God use the gifts and skills and talents in your life, fanning them into flames in ways you never imagined possible. That is part of our dream for our church. The question is obedience. God will ignite that call in your life as that is, is who you are. He will empower your call. He's given us a ministry staff vocationally. Aim, Jen, and I. Jeremy on this campus to vocationally make a difference and to lead. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, may look radically different. He's also given us a non-vocational elder on this campus. Jeff Herman, who works his 80-hour-a-week job, and he serves as an elder because of God's direct calling in his life. Vocational, non-vocational, side-by-side, future more so co-vocationally. Will he have that call in your life? One last thing, and then we'll move to our close. In the mission, vision, and value statement, the elders are asking the church to pray about owning for the next nine years. As mentioned, there is a heavy emphasis on the idea of our becoming and being a multiplying church to establish churches everywhere. And you undoubtedly will be a part of that. Small churches popping up everywhere for the sake of kingdom expansion, sharing the gospel, and making a difference. Did you know, in the early 2000s, when Tiffany and I really were first married, uh, there was a friend of ours, pastor named Jim Lane, who shared a verse, although I had read the Bible multiple times over, I'd never heard before. You're in a season of discouragement. Those come to all of us. You have those as well. Where he shared the verse, Romans eleven twenty nine. God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. That means they can't be taken away. God has placed those things in our lives. He has for this specific purpose of giving him glory, growing the kingdom. Did you know that if you are a follower of Jesus, he has given you gifts and a calling that is irrevocable? Nor Satan, nor people, nor life circumstances, nor anything else can take that out of your life. His call in your life and the gifts he has given you are irrevocable.
do you know you have those? Are you fanning those into flame? And if not, will you open yourself up to him to begin that journey now? He loves you. He is for you. And he has great things in store for your life, greater than you can even imagine. Did you know you are uniquely placed at your desk, at your job? You are uniquely placed in your home, in your neighborhood, with your neighbors. That you are uniquely placed in your family, in the way you are, specifically to make a difference for the gospel in a way that nobody else can. If I were to enter those relationships today with you and try to make the same difference, impact, relational value net that you have right now with them, I couldn't even come close. And the same is true of you with me, with our neighbors, our friends, the people we're reaching out to. You could not make the same impact. God has uniquely placed you where you are on purpose to do that. How are you doing in the fulfilling of your calling in that way? Do you realize you have that calling? Do you know? And I'm not asking you to do this, so uh, block this from the film, Jeremy. That uh, there are families in our church that looked for months for homes in this neighborhood so they could specifically move right here so they could invite their neighbors to become a part of our church family to give them more inlines to the gospel. Did you know there are people that are living blocks from here on purpose to so saturate the neighbor with the gospel, giving them more opportunity to get them involved within our church family? And it's working. That may not be God's call in your life to move next door. But he's called you exactly where you are on purpose to make a difference with those around you in a unique way that no one else can. The gifts and calling of God in your life, every one of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, are irrevocable. So stop listening to the lie of the enemy. Stop walking around in defeat and stop living in fear and grasp this calling of God in your life and get ready. The joys, the suffering, all of it. Until the day we see him face to face and he looks at us and says, in the midst of the joy and the pain that we've experienced, well done good and faithful servant. Enter. That day's coming for you. It's coming for me. The message version of this, and then we'll pray. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through, 6 through 11. And the special gift of ministry you received when I laid hands on you and prayed, keep that ablaze. God does not want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving 
and this is good for our day, sensible. So don't be embarrassed to speak up for our master or for me, his prisoner. Take your share of suffering for the message along with the rest of us. We can only keep on going, after all, by the power of God, who first saved us and then called us to this holy work. We had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea, a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. But we know it now. Since the appearance of our Savior, nothing could be plainer. Death defeated, life vindicated in a steady blaze of light, all through the work of Jesus. This is the message I've been set apart to proclaim as preacher, emissary, and teacher. And that is your message, and that is mine. Let's pray.